This week on the Sportplugs. This week, what's the point of a goal umpire as the Swans <laughs> find the keys to victory? Do the Matildas deserve a statue? And what the hell is a school sabonis? Oh, lots of fun this week, Stewie. Oh, let's go. It's 6.29 Western Standard Time on Wednesday, the 23rd of August. And I can say that again, because even though we're not in the same place today, it's ticked over. God damn it. Two weeks in a row. (laughs) (laughs) The split second you said 29, it flicked over to 30. I was like, oh, that's perfect. I knew it was going to too, because it had sat on 6.29 for ages. I was trying to race through it. Anyway, my partner in crime's back. We're squeezing in an episode before you head off to volleyball tonight. Shui, how are you, mate? Back from Queensland? Yeah, look, it's great to be back. Spent two hours driving from Fremantle up to my house today when it should have been a 45-minute drive. But uh, this is how it is when things happen on the road. A little bit of glass in one lane and all of a sudden people lose their mind. So, yeah, it's great to be back. Yeah, I did see that the news from the West in the end there, all the glass all over the road. As always, thank you very much to those that have liked or subscribed and check those timestamps if you do want to jump ahead. Plenty of footy and some basketball today, as well as an improved Court of Public Opinion segment, which is another juicy one. Well, look, that'll be up to the Court of Public Opinion to decide, I guess. <laughs> well, hopefully we can do it more justice than we did last week, Stewie. Ah, but um. So, Nate, before we get into the opening bounce tonight, we do have a little bit of sad news to start the show with. Yeah, we do. Rest in peace to Austin Robertson Jr., one of, well, a a key figure in Australian sport history for a number of reasons, but Western Australian royalty in the footy world. And this one's hit me a little bit harder than it might have otherwise, because I had the pleasure of meeting him and getting to know him. So he actually was best mates with the guy that owned the pub that we ran the quiz at for many years. And so... I used to see him on a weekly basis and no, I'm not going to overblow it and make it bigger than what it was, but I'd have a chat with him for a couple of years there, nearly on a weekly basis. I haven't seen him for the last few years, but we did form a little friendship there. And as a result of it, he invited me to his book launch, Cricket Outlaws Inside Kerry Packers Revolution. And it was it was a fairly uh, exclusive event. I don't think it was, it was probably 50 to 80 people there. And, and he wrote in the book to Nathan Mates for Life. So I'm really glad that I got to meet him and and uh, really glad that I, I got his book autographed and I was able to go to that to that signing and and met Warney and a whole bunch of legends there. Greg Chappell, probably the least friendly of the lot, but his reputation precedes him. But as I said, he's an absolute legend of the game and he's got an end named for him at Subiaco Oval accordingly back in the day before the new stadium was built. 1,214 goals in 251 games for the Subiaco Lions, which basically makes him WA's answer to the great Gordon Coventry. Another 60 for South Melbourne in 18 games with them. And that was another reason why we formed a bond because obviously the old Swans, and so he was a Swans fan. So me as a Swans fan, we got to talk about the Swannies every week during the footy season. His old man, Ocker, played 154 games and kicked 250 goals for the Bloods and then played another 42 games for West Perth and Perth with 51 goals in the Waffle too. So between them, assuming I've done my maths right, which is always a dangerous assumption. Yeah, it's pl- a bit iffy. It's a bit iffy. <laughs> they played 423 VFL Waffle games and kicked 1,575 goals between them. So when we think of all those great father-son combinations, you know, the Buntons here in WA, and then more recently, I guess, the Fletchers, the Ablets, they really are two legends of Australian sport. And Austin Robertson Jr. was also just key in the creation of World Series cricket, mates with Kerry Packer, and obviously that book I mentioned before. Go out and grab it. Now, I must admit, I haven't finished it yet. It's a very weighty book. It's huge. But I've really enjoyed what I've read so far. And yeah, he was, I don't know if you ever saw that miniseries, How's That, Stewie? But he was key in the involvement or the creation of the stump mic, for example. And there's a famous scene in in that miniseries. No, if we can blame him for Cameraman Joe, then. <laughs> well, maybe. He, funnily enough, he used to manage Warney. Uh, he used to manage JL. He managed a number of players. So really famous figure in Australian sport. And he did have a decent knock at 80. But yeah, so that's some sad news there. And, and we'll all mourn his loss. And as I say, I'm just, uh, just sad that I didn't kind of try to touch base with him once the pub did sell, because I didn't see him those last three years or so. But yeah, sad news there. And may he rest in peace. Definitely. What have you got, mate? Let's call it first serve. First serve. Well, in that case, we have to go with the golf, obviously. No. Um, Just a couple of things for me. I did want to start off with the golf. BMW Championship at the Olympia Fields North Course happened last week. It's about 40 minutes south of Chicago. Norway's Victor Hovland won at 17 under, two shots clear of Scotty Scheffler and Matt Fitzpatrick. 
What makes this noteworthy, though, is that Hovland actually shot a closing round of nine under and was seven under on the back nine for a 28, which cool. is incredible. Yeah, jeez. Now, there have been cooler and lower scores. The, the coolest one probably is Corey Pavin. He went eight under par on the front nine of the first round of the 2006 US Bank Championship in Milwaukee. So incredible way to start a tournament. So there have been a number of 27s. There's been the 26, which was Corey Pavin. But I had a look and I can't see anyone else having done what Hovland did on the back nine of the final round to actually win a tournament, which makes it pretty special. Very clutch sort of come from behind victory there. Now, the other thing I did want to just quickly talk about is my predictive text is starting to get a little bit out of hand. Now, I'm sure like most people, we've reached that moment where we're a little bit stoked. We've managed to convince our phone that we couldn't possibly be trying to type the word duck. Or ducking. That's the one that always got me. Yeah, probably got a lot of people actually over the years. But today was a really weird one for me. I was trying to write to somebody about the school holidays for some reason. I can't remember what it was about. But after typing the word school, my phone predicted that the next word would be Sabonis. <laughs> I, I can't for the life of me figure out why. Like I've mentioned Demarta Sabonis a couple of times in probably the last few months, but I can't see any reason why that surname would show up on predictive text for any reason whatsoever. It's a, one of these weird anomalies from time to time. I'm very well known for just having rampant typos all over the place because I hate autocorrect and I turn it off the minute I get a new phone because when it had autocorrected Apple with a small A as in the fruit to Apple with a capital A as in the company on my Android phone, when I was actually talking about the fruit, (laughs) I was like, fuck this, I'm out, no more corrective text for me. So yes, that's why I always have typos. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I almost want to turn it back on to see what would happen if I could get a player's name after I type school. <laughs> um, uh, you're probably likely to get a, a Popovich or a Duncan or something like that, something to do with the Spurs or, or perhaps a Heaney or, I don't know, one of the one of the Swans players as well. You, you never know. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Classic. Now, Nath, I believe you've got some frivolity to round out the opening bounce slash whatever we're calling it today. Slash first serve slash uh, teeing off. Yeah, I I know you're not a massive fan of Seinfeld, Stewie, but the Brooklyn Cyclones, which is a minor league baseball team in the South Atlantic League, uh, an affiliate of the New York Mets, had their annual Seinfeld night the other night, and they had their Elaine Little Kicks dance contest, which was piss funny. A lot of people that dressed like her did their hair like her did a really great job of the stupid dance that she does on that episode. And it was even hosted by the guy that played the Wiz. So hats off to the Brooklyn Cyclones. That was some really funny footage and uh, a great a bit of fun. Now, the, the only thing about that I'm not sure about, I've never heard of the New York Mets. I know the Nye Mets. Are they similar? They're my favourite squadron. Yeah, yeah. They're my favourite squadron. Yeah, very, very similar. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, the old, the old Nye Mets. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, had to be done. Yes, no, it did. That's that's my bad. We, we love a good Simpsons reference here on the Sport Blokes. We do. So, Nath, a pretty big round of AFL in the penultimate round of the home and away season. Unfortunately, we have to go back in time a week to one of your comments regarding the score umpires and uh, yeah, a little bit of uh, from the weekend. And as we always say, you just hope that this doesn't come to haunt a team come finals time. It would be such a shame if a match was ended in controversy because of a bad decision. (laughs) Yes, it was literally how we finished the episode last week. It was bound to happen, wasn't it? That Crows and Swans debacle. My oh my. So you've obviously watched more of the game being a Swan supporter. I actually didn't see much of it, but was able to turn on the last couple of minutes and see what happened at the end. You know, I saw the final score. I saw how close it was and thought, oh, well, I need to see what happened here. And look, I have to admit, to sort of fast forward to the end, at the time, like, obviously I knew that the final result had the Swans ahead. And I saw the kick from Keys and thought, hang on a second, how is that missed? Yeah, And then next next thing you know, yeah, the Swans are running it up the, the wing and there's all sorts of stuff going on. I'll let you kind of go into a bit more detail about it though, Nath. Yeah, so look, we'll fast forward through the game. I don't think we need to talk about that. It was kind of a tale of two halves. The Swans kicked nine goals in the first half and only two for the rest of the game. And that's why it got really close at the end. They were up by 40 odd points at one stage. It was funny. I was watching on KO and I was watching a little bit on delay because we pressed pause at halftime to have dinner. 
And so I didn't see it live, but I stayed away from my phone to make sure it wasn't spoiled because it did start to get closer and closer and closer. But then the bloody KO, it stuffed up. And so it went all the way back to the start with about three minutes left. So I had to try and kind of find the spot. And of course, in predicting where to go, I overshot and then saw the final score and saw we'd one by one. So then I had to rewind every or so minutes to watch that final three minutes. And boy, oh boy, what a crazy finish. So first things first, let's, I guess, set the tone for the fourth quarter because although it was a horrible decision and it was incorrect, the Crows did have a lot of chances. So they kicked five goals, seven to zero goals, one in the fourth. As I said, the Swans only had two goals after halftime and they were both in the third Nathan, quarter. I'll, I'll stop there, mate. It was actually four goals, eight they kicked. Assuming I've done my maths right, which is always a dangerous assumption. Yeah, they... It's a bit iffy. It's a bit iffy. <laughs> Should have been five goals, seven, but it was four goals, eight. Ah, <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah, okay, well, four goals, eight. So, plus 14 in the contested possessions in the fourth quarter, plus eight in the inside 50s. This is how it went after the barrage of three goals in less than four minutes to start the fourth quarter, and that had me very worried, and I was thinking that we were going to lose that one. Six minutes, 48, rush behind, 10-10, rush behind, 12.06 behind Darcy Fogarty, 14.47 behind Isaac Heaney, our only score, 15.29 rush behind, 18.06 behind Jordan Dawson, 19.30 rush behind, 26.02 Josh Rochelle behind, 27.59 Josh Rochelle goal, 29.47 Ben Keys. well, the official record says behind. So as I said, plus eight inside 50s, it seemed to be in their half for the whole quarter just about. And yeah, we get to this point at the end where he has pretty tough kick on the boundary, it's got to be said. Thinks he slotted it, and he had slotted it. And and I thought, well, I can't call it live, because as I said, I was on maybe 10, 20 minutes delay. But I thought watching it, that it was a goal. Then I let the commentators kind of convince me that it was a behind based on one angle, that it had hit the bottom of the point post. But they never reviewed it. Ben Keyes went into the crowd to celebrate. A number of his teammates followed him. And so it meant that the Swans could kick basically to the wing without any defense at all. Very heady move by Jake Lloyd to kick it to, I think it was Chad Warner on the 50 there, and then he managed to get it up the wing. So the sting came out of the contest because the Swans could just hold on for that one point, point win. But it shouldn't have been. It should have been Adelaide's win. And yeah, there's been a few of these now. And Adelaide have been on the wrong side of it. They were on the wrong side of it against Gold Coast. Obviously, that wasn't as bad because that was, I think, before half time. We talked about that Petrarca one against Carlton the other week or last week. So, yeah, it's not good, is it? And fuck, I almost wish I didn't make that comment at the end of last week's episode. Well, look, it makes for, I guess, a pretty decent follow-up if we can talk about it. But I think the thing that's most frustrating is if you look at the footage, there's two Swans players on the line kind of backing back, trying to get ready to go for the big spoil. And one of them, I think the hand or the arm makes contact with the padding. And that's what the umpire had said that he'd heard. I've heard the... The sound, I assume that was the ball. And we all know that you can't make assumptions in a situation like that. I mean, you wouldn't really do that in the middle of the second quarter, let alone with less than a minute left in a game that's less than a kick. And so I guess to, yeah, to sort of make the assumption based on what you've kind of heard while you're backing back with two players in front of you, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's detrimental to the competition it's potentially, well, in fact, it pretty much, look, well, I guess we'll say potentially cost Adelaide a finals berth because there is no guarantee they would have made it, but this absolutely, yeah, completely puts out the flame on that happening. Well, and it does, and it takes the sting out of the final round a little bit more too because there's less spots up for grabs. There's still some seeding implications, but it does take the sting out a little bit. Some of those Sunday games aren't as important as they once were. Where do we go with this? So all goals are referred to the arc for 60 seconds. We may as well call it Noah's Ark, given the technology is that fucking outdated. But I thought it was meant to be all decisions. I don't know if it is points. There seems to be a lack of clarity there. I dare say there hasn't been a head of football in the AFL all year. And this is a major, a major problem. And these are the sort of things that you would hope would, <laughs> would be looked at and talked about. Now, obviously, you can't move the goalpost during the season. So... 
some issues are going to need to be fixed prior to next season rather than prior to the final. Well, that's my opinion anyway. I don't think you should make too many changes heading into the finals. I think you can change interpretations a bit. But, yeah, some interesting schools of thought. So I've listened to a fair bit about this since the game. Ray Chamberlain has a segment with Jared Waitley, former Razor Ray, the umpire. It's quite interesting, actually, on his radio show. And he made a really interesting point that they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. So he said that commentators will applaud goal umpires for making confident decisions without kind of wavering. And then they're lamented for reviewing clear ones. But on the flip side, obviously, he thought it was clear. He thought he was right. So he didn't review it, but it was wrong. Now, it should have been reviewed. This is one of those ones where even if you are 99.9% sure, I think you got to review it. But that's interesting. The other one I heard also on Jared Waitley's show, I think it was, or might have been Dwayne Russell. Anyway, Buckley said that he thought the game should be awarded to the Adelaide Crows on the balance of probabilities because he said that if Adelaide go up at that point, although there was about a minute 10 left, I think it was about a minute 10. Is that was something in that 56 ballpark. seconds. Just under, Oh, just less under than a minute. Under okay, minute. okay. So around yeah. a minute left. On the balance of probabilities, most teams win that game. Now, obviously, that would have been a centre bounce and there's plenty of time to win that out of the middle and get a mark. But he thinks on the balance, most likely most teams would win in that situation. So it's really interesting. Well, Gillan McLaughlin came out and said, had it been reviewed, it definitely would have been overturned and called a goal. I mean, obviously, there's no recourse. They've they've kind of accepted the umpire's decision, albeit wrong. But yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, going back, I guess, to what Buckley was saying, uh, that is just utter nonsense. I mean, I remember a season where Stewie Maxfield kicked two goals in, I think it was the first minute of the game. And I think it was the first game of the season as well. So to say that it's more like, I mean, obviously, yes, it's more likely that they don't kick a goal than they do, but you can't decide that. That's just as unfair as what's happened here. So I think that absolutely has to come off the table. The biggest thing for me, I think, to come out of this is that it really underlines the importance of the AFL getting these schnickos at every single major stadium. I could almost understand it not happening if we were in Darwin or Alice Springs or one of these regional, I think, I don't know if they play it in like Bendigo or any of these areas, but to have a major stadium that is hosting games every single weekend, whether it's the Crows or the Power not having that sort of technology in a multi-million dollar competition is, it's ridiculous. Yep, agreed, 100%. But the, the human error, it's just its just astonishing that someone can be that confident of what they saw and to be wrong. And look, we've all been there. We've all done it. You put enough people in front of an event, they all have different, slightly different ideas on how it went. But yeah, no finals yeah, for him. Look- no, no, absolutely. Well, no. Or Adelaide. He'll be, <laughs> well, this is it, though. He'll be lucky if he gets another go anytime soon. But as I say, for a national competition to be playing at one of the major stadiums in there, I mean, what if you've basically got what, seven major stadiums? You've got to have that sort of technology available at all times. Because, I mean, look, imagine if this had been a prelim final. Yeah, well, there was that Tom Hawkins hitting the post in the grand final that they missed for example, which is why I think they brought this in. But the other one people keep talking about is putting a chip in the ball. And we've talked about that before as well. It's pretty small, these chips. I don't think it would... I think surely they can work out a way where it's not going to negatively impact on how the ball moves, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. I think they should really be exploring that. Yeah, look, there's just there's got to be something because, you know, as you said last week, if this impacts a final... And look, this is not a final, but for Adelaide... It was basically an elimination final because they lose and they're out. And as you said, it does take a lot of the sting out of the final round. There's two more teams that we don't really have to worry about. The Swans are definitely in. The Crows are definitely out. And that's what we love is that final round drama. But I guess it's not going to happen for those two teams. Did you see that 7AFL's Twitter account or artist formerly known as Twitter posted an explainer on replaying the last 71 seconds? No, I didn't see that. So hats off to Sav Megafan2, who took a screenshot before they deleted. So 7AFL tweeted, Adelaide and Sydney will be made to replay the final 71 seconds of their round 23 match. Oh, that's why I thought it was about a minute and 10 seconds. Behind closed doors at Adelaide Oval during the pre-finals by Explainer. Teams will line up in the 666 formation. No coin toss. Adelaide will kick to the left. Swans will kick to the right of screen. Countdown clock will commence at 1.11 with the score line being Adelaide 11-12-78 to Sydney Swans 11-8-74. Ben Keys will be listed as a goal kicker. 
Play will start at the centre bounce. Additional time on will be calculated from the remaining one minute 11. Any substitutions from the original fixture will stand. All other Football League competition regulations will apply. So they've accidentally tweeted this. Clearly, I guess they had that bullet in the chamber in case that's what the league had decided. And of course, people screenshot it now. I did it as well with the NBL account that misspelled Brett Maher's name earlier this week. But yeah, that's a bit of a faux pas from Channel 7 as well. So yeah, just oh, headaches all around with this one. Really sad. I do feel for Adelaide fans. They've been a really good team all season. Obviously, really played well against the top four in particular. So yeah, it's 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 just a shitty way. As a Swans fan, it's this. I don't want this either. It's a shitty way to get in. So I really hope we beat Melbourne and we can feel like we got in legitimately either way. But that doesn't help Crows fans. Actually, I've gone back and a look now. If you're right, it was a minute 11, not 56. I don't know where I got that time from. So my apologies to uh, time in general. <laughs> yes, with apologies to mother time. I was yeah. really interested. The other thing that kind of had my scratching my head a bit was the amount of football media that didn't open with it. So it wasn't the opening story on Footy Classified. They, they talked about a whole bunch of stuff before they got there. I don't know if it was as simple as it being two non-Victorian clubs or what. But some of the media, yeah, they, they kind of downplayed it a bit, I thought. So I did find that a bit odd. Yeah, it was a bit odd. I was watching Access All Areas and they led with the Dogs and the Eagles game, which we'll talk about in a second, which I thought was really unusual. I mean, obviously, I know there's big ramifications from that result, but uh, you kind of think that, yeah, the the big issue from the weekend was this. I, I don't understand how it's not leading anyone's telecast. I think it might be a Victorian thing. Let's go to the Eagles and Dogs, Stewie. Your team, they had another win and a win in Melbourne, no less. And it'll cost them two spots in the draft order because the Kangas will not only get the number one pick now, but they'll also get the second for compensation for losing Ben Mackay. And I'm not not sure that that's fair compensation, but anyway. No, there's no way he's worth that. That is no. <laughs> utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, as I said last week, there's no way the Eagles are tanking, but just, yeah. Trying to <laughs> sorry, I can't say that with a straight face. It felt like we were tanking, but no, this was honestly uh, a really, really nice way to kind of not close out the season, but it was nice to see the players put it together for not four quarters. There was still a bit of a letdown sort of throughout the middle part of the game, but certainly for a dogs team that were really pushing for finals, and we'll get to the dogs in a second. It was really, really nice to see a West Coast team that's come out the previous week, been absolutely spanked by Fremantle, come out and put forward that sort of, you know, that sort of really impressive, nearly four-quarter effort. No, you're right. It was the biggest loss for them in a derby history. So to then fly to Melbourne and do it against a team that needed to win to make finals, it's huge. And look, obviously the flip side for the Dogs, you know, to absolutely shit the bed in essentially a must-win game against a team that was bottom of the ladder with only two wins on the board that had just been smashed by Fremantle, as I said. It's probably the most disappointing result of the season. And a midfield like that, lowering their colours against West Coast, that's that's a team that averaged 20% more clearances a game for the season, and West Coast beat them in the clearance Jack McRae had 13 touches. Aaron Norton had 15 touches and, and one goal. Even Adam Trelaw, you know, 32 touches, but a lot of empty possessions. So I think for the most part, that team is leaving way too much for Bontempelli to do. And he's good, but he's not that good. Well, he's great, but he's not that great. I mean, no one can be that great. They've gone four and eight in their last 12. So talk about sputtering at the finish line. And they, they, they should be top four, really, with that list. Did you hear much of the Bevo comments in the pre-game and post-game? I saw the post-game stuff where somebody basically asked him about that and he questioned their ability to understand footy enough to kind of comprehend what was going on, which I thought was an absolutely pathetic way to... I mean, obviously, he doesn't want to be there. He understands that the team's just, you know, put in one of the worst performances they could have against one of the worst teams in the competition. But at the same time, you're the coach. That's what you're getting paid for. You have to be able to stand up in those moments and be able to dissect what's happened and give an answer. Like, okay, you're not going to like the question, but what's he expecting after that performance? Oh, not only one of the worst teams in the competition, one of the worst teams in modern history that were rivaling that horrible Fitzroy team from the mid-90s. All right, calm down, Nate, calm down. Well, no, it's just true. It is true, though. You've got to admit. We've we've got three wins for the season. I bet I can find a Sydney team that's got less than that. Oh, mate, we've had some fucking horrible seasons. That's partly when I started (laughs) following us. We were shit. I started following us in irony in some ways. So don't don't worry. We had some dire times in the early to mid-90s. 
But yeah, he said he had some trepidation pre-game, like trepidation. Really, you have trepidation at home against one of the worst teams in the competition. And then, yeah, as you mm. said, he was basically saying, "Oh, anyone that says we have a good list doesn't understand footy." Like their list, honestly, their list is definitely a top eight list. But with that list, if if I was a, I was going to say Footscray, if I was a Dogs fan, I would want them finishing top four with that list the last couple of seasons. They've disappointed. He's got to be one foot out the door. Surely they need a change there. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to kind of feel that way. It's certainly um, one of those ones, I guess, where we don't play football on paper, as you often say. The games are are not played on paper. But on paper, that team does look really good. And and there have been a lot of really disappointing performers throughout the entire season. And I think it's probably led by those two guys, Jack McRae and Aaron Norton that I mentioned, who on paper again and, and the way that they have performed, like Jack McRae was getting... 39, 40 touches almost every game, it seemed, last season and a couple of seasons ago. Norton was a guy who was constantly taking multiple big pack marks and kicking multiple goals every game. And he just hasn't looked like the same player this season as well. So real troubles in in the dog kennel. I almost wonder if Norton needs to go down back again. He's, As you say, he's a great grab. He's not always a great kick at goal. If I'm not mistaken, in juniors, he played down back. And they've got Hugo Hagen up forward now. So, yeah... They need to do something. But funnily enough, Geelong are going to have that many players out on Friday that they might still make the finals. They might still have a win. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, look, it is going to be interesting. We'll talk about, I guess, the final eight thoughts in just a quick minute. But uh, I guess the one quick thing I did want to just also say is it does take the Harley Reid questions out of anyone's hands except for North Melbourne now. I think it's one of those ones where, yeah, unfortunately, North have been so shit for so long. They're just going to keep getting these number one picks. I did hear one interesting thought that perhaps after two years in a row, if you finish bottom again, maybe you don't get the first pick because it's clearly something to do with the club, their inability to develop players and, and keep those young players interested in staying. As we see every season, there's big players leaving. As you said, Mackay, one foot out the door already and uh, the other foot out there pretty soon as well. So yeah, something needs to be done in North Melbourne, but unfortunately, yeah, the league's going to keep giving them those, those extra draft picks. And yes, that's, that's the way it is. If they get a priority pick, which would mean they have the top three picks, that'd be an absolute joke. Bring in the lottery. It's time. The NBA does yep. it well. I think the way the NBA currently has the, the lottery and how they've reweighted the odds prior to, I think it was this draft. I think that's perfect. And I think that's what they should do in the AFL. It will guard against some tanking. It won't guard against all of it, but it will also mean that the bottom team won't be guaranteed the number one pick every year. And in the case where there is a team that's shit for several years, like you say, it's very unlikely they get number one every year. And if they do, well, all power to them because it happened because of the lottery balls rather than the fact that they had the worst record. And while we're on North, some more horrible stuff, really. So two Nary Warren men have been arrested in connection with the alleged assault on Jack Siebel. It was a coward punch. He's retiring as well. So that's a really sad end to his career. And another Sir Swamp Thing tweet. North's 20th consecutive loss this season put them atop the dubious list of longest losing streaks in VFL slash AFL season, beating Melbourne's 1981 team, which had 19 consecutive losses. Then there are eight teams with 18 game losing streaks and only one after 1964 which was a Fitzroy team. And then Gold Coast in 2019 was the other. Then it goes all the way back to 1913 and 14 when it was the university team. Not good times for North, but nonetheless, I do still firmly believe in the lottery system. I'm not sure if you said that at the time, but that that is losses within the same season, not across multiples. Yes, consecutive losses in one season. Though. Yeah, not great. Just quickly before we move on, Nate, did you see Adam Simpson saying to Ben Dixon after the game, we tried to tank those last three minutes? I did, yeah, that was classic, yeah. <laughs> and on Footy Classified last night, they were kind of speculating as to whether he knows he's out the door and so he's coaching a little bit more loosely now because he doesn't really give a shit. A bit like Lovey Smith with the Texans. I remember talking about that in the NFL last season. Mm. whole bunch of quick hits, I guess, to finish this segment. Carlton's nine-game winning streak followed a six-game losing streak. So it's really been a funny old season. The Swans were out of the finals for a long time. We were 15th not that long ago. So it has been a bizarre season. Geelong will become the sixth side in the top eight era to miss the finals as reigning premiers. And I guess on the flip side of that, when we talk about finals, I I saw both Daniel Cherney and Swampy on Twitter saying that this will be the first time that all three of Carlton, Melbourne and St Kilda would have all qualified for the finals in the same season. And that's incredible because they've all been in the competition 
as foundation clubs since 1897. Yeah, that stat absolutely blew my mind. I haven't actually gone back and double-checked it, but I I trust them enough to, I guess, say it's gospel. But yeah, when you consider all those different seasons, going way back to like the war times when there were only a handful of teams, really, it's like it just seems impossible that all three of them couldn't have made it. It's it's an incredible stat. It's absolutely remarkable. Hats off to the GWS banner team for their absolutely ruthless poem. For their game against Essendon, I dare say it was justified. They had 28 or I think they won every quarter by 28 or more points. It's been a long time. The Bombers have waited. Last time they won a final, we weren't even created. Oh, spectacular, honestly. You see these (laughs) absolute gems come through once in a while. And I tell you what, it looked like it got into the Bombers' heads. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Essendon are the most Jekyll and Hyde team that's probably ever been created. They'd certainly be right up there. And Jesse Hogan, what a crazy kind of finish to his career in GWS. He kicked nine goals in the 126-point win. And he was known as Jesse Nogan here in Frio amongst Frio fans. So he's, yeah, just another chapter in his kind of bizarre career over there. But yeah, hats off to him. Yeah, we love those games where one player beats the other team on their own. I also love the games like this one where a team's quarter time score. So GWS had seven goals, three at quarter time, which would have been enough to beat Essendon's five goals, six for the entire game. And as I said, they won every quarter by, I think it was 28 points or more. The first time that's happened. 28 or more. I did did see that stat. Yeah, Yeah, that hasn't happened more than, I think it's about eight times that's happened in the history of the, uh, the AFL and VFL. Right, there you go. Yeah, and not for a while either. And of course, they're another team that had a funny season. So they started really slowly out of the gates, winning just four of their first 12 games. But yeah, with a win this weekend, they could still make the finals too. So yeah, funny times. Can can we also recognize who they lost to in the second round of the season? Uh, Was that you guys? It was. Oh, there you go. (laughs) So that's how bad they were going earlier in the season where they basically came across here and got beat by the Eagles by 19 points. That tells you how far they've come. And one of those early wins was against us too when we choked a game away. We absolutely should have won that game. So we've now had enough games this season where the should have ones and should have losses are about even. So we're probably about where we should be, but yeah, at the expense of Adelaide. Dim is the new coach of Gold Coast. We've kind of talked about this a little bit. It's the worst kept secret in football. Obviously, the burnout only lasted three months. And I also love the irony that he cited burnout for leaving Richmond and then went to a team called the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it actually looked like he'd been a little bit too close to the sun for a while. Came back from Europe with a very nice looking tan. But uh, geez, how pissed would you be as a Richmond supporter right now? Oh, look, I think it was probably time. I think it was time for them to have a new voice as, as some of the older players retire. And again, we'll talk about that next week because I have a feeling there might be a few more announcements this weekend as well. I don't know. I just It probably felt like the right time for all involved, actually. So if, if that were me, I wouldn't be pissed off. But yeah, it's an interesting one. i tell you what, though. I do agree with what Damien Barrett said from Sliding Doors on AFL.com.au a few weeks ago. If the Suns simply expect AFL to fork out competition money to help them get Damien Hardwick to sign as a coach, they need to think again. Hope the AFL says no the whole way through and that other clubs demand this not be allowed. Besides, it makes no sense for headquarters to pay outside soft cap ambassadorial promotional money to a coach who severely dislikes the media. Yeah, I like that. I agree with it 100%. So I don't know about you, Stewie, but I've done my ladder predictor on afl.com.au. I haven't, but I actually feel pretty comfortable with the final eight as it stands, with the exception of the eight and nine. Uh, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just tossing up between... Will Geelong show up and show some fight and want to actually win to finish the season out? That's the only one I'm kind of worried about in terms of will will something change or not. I feel like the rest of it's kind of not set, but I feel like there won't be much in the way of changes. Well, not only that, but will the dogs show up? You know, will they just give this one away and hope that Bevo gets sacked? <laughs> Dare I say? Well, well, true, true, true. So I've got Collingwood and Melbourne in the 1v4, Brisbane and Port in the 2v3. I almost wonder if the Premier might come out of that match. We'll see. Then Carlton and the Dogs in 5v8 on the assumption the Dogs do scrape over the line. I don't feel confident about that at all. And then the Swannies hosting St Kilda in the 6v7. Okay. So you've got the Swans beating Melbourne, do you? I do, yes. Yep. At home. Fair enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not the most far-fetched sort of thing I've ever heard. That's for sure. 
We've had a bit of the wood on the Demons for the last couple of seasons as well. Obviously, we won over there in the 1v4 matchup last season to set up our grand final appearance. So I'm reasonably confident we can get over the line there. But yeah, either way, anything can happen. Yeah, that's fair enough. Just one thing quickly as well that I I was just uh, thinking that we've kind of forgot to talk about, just with the Adelaide and Sydney thing. Adelaide's percentage is actually higher than the Western Bulldogs and Essendon and the GWS Giants as well. And they've got West Coast in the final round. So that miss will actually, I think it pretty much does cost Adelaide the the final spot because they, they win this one against West Coast and have a better percentage than the other teams. So unless GWS beats Carlton, I don't think Adelaide would have got through, I think. GWS could beat Carlton. Carlton have won a lot in a row and they might, yeah. I, yeah, no, you're right. It just makes it even worse. You're absolutely right. I'd be yeah, spewing does. if I was a Crows fan. Absolutely spewing. Mm. In the court of public opinion, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The athletes, administrators, and media personalities who make questionable decisions and the armchair critics who most likely will have little discernible athletic talent but will pass judgment anyways. These are their stories. All rise. The Court of Public Opinion is now in session. So, Shui, this week, our offender, as it were, is Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk, who has revealed plans to honour the Matildas' World Cup heroics with a statue outside Suncorp Stadium. Now, I've actually gone to the Court of Public Opinion more than last week. We probably... uh, we maybe should have backed that idea a little bit more before we let that one out of the ideas lab. So we've certainly uh, improved the segment this week. So I've jumped on Twitter to have a look at some responses. So I'll give, I guess, some cases for the prosecution and some cases for the defence. And then you and I can have a quick little chat to work out what, where we stand. At Fenweiser, as well intended as it may be, isn't Anna basically saying we can never expect the Matildas to do better than this? At Boris underscore K, if we were talking about the 150th ranked team of amateurs coming fourth, sure. But we're talking about the 10th best team in the world, full of EPL stars playing at home. Semi-finals is probably on par with where you'd expect from them to land. At Jack Ellingson, imagine how much grief we will be given by the Poms if we erect a statue for fourth place. And then finally, at J underscore the Wiz P, the netball girls just won the World Cup and crickets. The Opal, sick do well every tournament, crickets. The cricket girls won the World Cup, crickets. I was along for the ride with the Matildas. It was great, but we came fourth, no time to celebrate. Now, that was kind of where I was headed. That was kind of my view, and we will obviously talk it out as well. A couple of, I guess, flip side opinions for the defence. So Peter Fitzsimons, who himself is a media personality here in Australia, To be fair, the impact of the Matildas on this year decade cannot be measured merely where they finished in the comp. And then one more, great to see some uh, feedback on our Twitter as well. Loz in transit at 30 home games. Love to have him on the show one time, actually. We must reach out. I'll quote bits from a couple of tweets that he posted in response to my initial comment about the boomers, which I know you saw as well. I got the impression that it was a permanent marker for the tourney overall, one that captivated a nation, a reminder something special took place, perhaps a way to honour Sam Kerr plus those who came before. So, Judge Stewie, what do you reckon? How do you rule? Oh, look, I almost want to rule that I think we should move for a mistrial on this one, quite frankly. <laughs> it, it is interesting. And I mean, yeah, look, there's been countless boomer sides. I mean, what, 88, 96, 2000 and 2016 all finished fourth, didn't put up a statue for them. Tottenham Hotspur, and they're not putting up a statue outside White Hart Lane, finishing fourth last season. <laughs> I, I look, I can, I can certainly understand where the defence is coming from in regards to. I think the impact that this has won't really be fully known for another generation, and obviously we can start to see a little bit in terms of the numbers of people that are starting to participate in. I guess junior soccer, you were talking about some of those great, great stories about people, you know, the boys going outside saying, oh, I want to be Sam Kerr, I want to be Fowler, I want to be whoever. And yeah, as I say, I just don't know if we'll really know the true impact of what the Matildas team did for another generation. I agree with you. I think the long-term thing is a really important part of my finding. I, I don't think it's a mistrial as far as I'm concerned. Put it this way. 
It took 12 years for Kathy Freeman to get her statue after the Sydney Olympics. Do, mm. do we really want to, like, what an announcement to make before they've even probably engraved Spain's name on the fucking trophy for winning the thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The other thing that I found interesting, so some interesting comments from Robbie Slater, himself a legend of Australian soccer. It was a marvellous event, the whole thing. Everyone played their part and the Matildas brought so much joy to so many young players and young people who had never really been involved in the game. So fair play to them. But it's not going to change the game in this country. The game needs a lot of work. So that's interesting as well. I think for me, the closest comparison here is maybe Taylor Harris. So she got a statue in 2019, having at that time played less than 30 games. She's already on her third team in five years. Now, again, it was an iconic statue, an iconic visual. And I know that it's not just for success. It's representative. I get it. But on the flip side, Erin Phillips, two best and fairest, essentially women's Brownlows, and a three-time premiership player. Oh, by the way, she played for the Opals as well and was very successful with them winning medals. She doesn't have a statue. So, eh, feels a bit much for me, Stewie. I'm going to rule that Palaszczuk and the Queensland government are guilty. It was separately announced that a large mural of the Matildas would be erected outside Sydney Stadium, Australia. I think we should be limiting and saving statues for a little bit further down the way, as you say. Let the dust settle a little bit. Hey, maybe in 10 years we decide they're still worthy of a statue. I think one day Sam Kerr will get her own anyway. So I think a mural was the way to go. You save the statues for the absolute legends and the absolute achievements. I actually think we can win it one day. Maybe we'll get a statue for them then. So I rule guilty. I think this is a bit much. Yeah, look, I mean, the obvious answer is that it's it's guilty of pretty piss poor spending. I assume it's probably taxpayer money that would uh, would fund that. So uh, they'd be guilty of that as well. It's, yeah, it's probably a little bit too much at this stage. I think, yeah, a mural is a really good way to depict all of the different members of the team rather than trying to put them all into one statue, which would either be a massive monstrosity or probably leave people out that were just as big a part of the team as any other player. So uh, I think the mural is the way to go. And I know Piers Morgan lives in our heads rent-free still, but uh, can you imagine what he'll say about this? Like one of those commenters said that I took from Twitter, <laughs> the artist formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, oh, I can already hear him whinging and moaning and pissing and all sorts. So, yes, I know it's results are not just about wins and losses, but I definitely think we could let the dust settle a little bit first. And look, I'm with you, mate. Like, if 10 years down the track, this is something where we look back and we go, yeah, you know what, it's inspired another generation, maybe you look at something. But, yeah, I think far too soon. So let's smash through the basketball, Stewie. You've got to head off very shortly. Uh, I guess some quick thoughts about FIBA. I watched all the Aussie games. I didn't get to see the USA and Germany one, but you saw a fair bit of that, I believe. Yeah, just I guess quickly before we talk about the Australian team, one of the really exciting parts to come out of all of this, and I guess something that's maybe got me really excited about the upcoming NBA season is just the growth of Anthony Edwards' game and how much he looks like Kobe Bryant out on the court whether it be the number 10 that he's wearing, just the the fadeaways from the deep post, the just the aggressiveness, that mamba mentality that he really seems to have, I guess, you know, just really grown with over the past few months. And I feel like this is going to be a season where we see Anthony Edwards take that really big leap from, I guess, star to superstar. I think he's going to be really pushing all NBA. I think he's going to be dominant at the all-star game. I just loved everything about the way that he's looking right now. And yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited for once to watch Minnesota Timberwolves games. I dare say he may go down as one of the top five dunkers of all time when all said and done as well, maybe even top three. Did you hear the idea that Bill Simmons threw out there this week? He's back from his little hiatus in the uh, US summer there. He reckons that the Timberwolves should try and trade Carl Anthony Towns for Damian Lillard. Wow. It's a big call. It's I mean, an interesting one, look, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, Carl Anthony Towns is just, I don't know, he's hes a really good player, but he needs to be great. And the only issue I have with that is just purely the timeline of Damian Lillard doesn't line up with the timeline of Anthony Edwards and most of the rest of that Timberwolves team. So I'm just, I'm not sure about that. 
Yeah, fair enough. I, I just I don't think they can persist with Cat. I think they need to try and try and move him. But uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they've basically got to find somebody who is happy to be the number two player on a team because I think I said this in a previous episode. I don't know that Cat really wants to relinquish being the number one player on the team, but it's very very clear for anyone to see that this is Anthony Edwards' team. And the moment that Cat agrees and sort of says, you know what, I'll play second fiddle, then it might be all happy families. But until he does that, I think it's going to cause friction and could hurt the team as it did last season. I think he's an absolute fruit loop. He's got tickets on himself. He has an overinflated sense of where he stands in the league. And I wouldn't want him on my team, if I'm honest. Yeah, fair enough. So the Lansdale injury makes things tough. It almost makes me think that we're going to finish fourth once again. <sighs> Give us a statue then. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, that game against France was a really gritty win. They came out much better than us in that first quarter, and it looked like we we fought a really uphill battle all game. It was a, a really gutsy win by the Boomers, and that does give a little bit of optimism, I guess, after the bad news about the injury. Yeah, I mean, look, I I saw the injury when it happened. It was a really, really bad roll. And obviously, when you're a guy the size of Landau with all of that weight coming down on it, it's never going to be good. But yeah, the, the team certainly rallied around, I guess, each other and you know did a really great job. Duop Reith continues to just look like a special player. And I'll tell you what, he needs to be in the NBA, that guy. He just has so much going for him. Really, really great range. Hits that three from straight away or on that 45 really well. We saw a massive dunk over Rudy Gobert. So, you know, clearly he's got that power game as well. I think this is a team that, yeah, you're right. I, I think they probably will finish a, a little bit lower than we were expecting because obviously a guy of Landale's skill, his ability to defend, you know, he's a good size so he can take most of these big players one-on-one. -on -one. It probably hurts a little bit more. But look, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not the Olympics. As much as the World Cup is massive, I think they'd rather be fully healthy for the Olympics next year than uh, than fully healthy for this. That, I might be wrong, but that's just how I feel. Well, I mean, obviously they'll be out there and they'll be playing to win and they will fancy themselves as a top three finisher. But yeah, you wonder if maybe come next year with the Olympics, hopefully Landale, maybe Simmons comes into this team and then maybe we really challenge for that gold medal. But I still think we'll do bloody well. It's funny talking about the World Cup. So it's the, one of the few sports where the Olympics are seen as the highest prize. We were having a chat about this with Woody fairly recently this week and I wonder with the name change, I wonder now that it's called the World Cup rather than the World Championships, I wonder if the rebranding and with the game kind of pretty popular and one of its more popular stages, maybe it's most popular since Jordan's early 90s, one could argue. So, yeah, you, you hope that maybe the World Cup will be held in higher regard going forward. But, yeah, I think the realist in me says that our, our better chance will be next year at the Olympics, but I, I still think we'll do bloody well. Just one thing really randomly about the French team. I did not realise that Nando DiColo was still going around. Yeah, he must be. I think he's 35, 36. He's been around for a while, hasn't he? Yeah, he's you know, seemingly been around forever, 36 years. Uh, he did play very well in that first quarter as well. But yeah, I, I must admit when I saw some of the highlights and I, I heard the name DiColo, I'm thinking, no, like is that really the same guy that played? He played for the Spurs, didn't he? He did briefly, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see that, that he was still going. Yeah, he played for the Spurs and the Raptors in the NBA. So, yeah, very, very surprising, but he's still looking pretty decent. Now, we're quickly running out of time. So, really quickly in the NBL world, uh, congratulations to Daniel Johnson and Cody Ellis on some fine careers in the NBL. Daniel Johnson, he will have his 21 jersey retired for the Adelaide 36s. He played 366 games, was a seven-time club MVP. Cody Ellis also had a good career, 127 games. We obviously are big fans. He's a friend of the show. He's a lovely guy. We feel that he probably deserved more chances in the NBL and probably should have played double that amount of games. But nonetheless, a very good career and, and on some good Sydney teams and uh, played in Illawarra a couple of seasons there too. Yep. No, the two absolute champions of the game obviously as you mentioned yeah look, us you know hanging out with Cody and getting to know him really well he's such a great guy off the court and I'm sure Daniel Johnson is as well I I'm always a little bit gutted that DJ never came home and got to play over here but it's uh I guess it is what it is 
Oh, and it looks my memory has failed me. Those Sydney teams weren't exceptional, actually. <laughs> a couple of those Illawarra teams were much better. Obviously, he played in that grand final series, and we've talked about that on previous episodes as well. So go back and check we, those we don't, out. We don't, want to bring, we don't want to bring that up in front of him, though. No, no, that's true. That's true. But, uh, yeah, the great guy, and, and hopefully we'll be able to speak to him again soon. Also, Brett Maher, the Brett Mayer Court. Uh, the Brett Maher Court, NBL, the uh, work experience kid, wrote the wrong name there. I would have thought the first thing you do is fact check. Uh, maybe it was an autocorrect error. So it could have been worse. It could have been the Brett Sabonis court. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. Uh, and then lastly, check out Chris Appleby's Mad Rise doco, still available on Nine Now, the streaming platform for Channel Nine. Really interesting documentary. Some fantastic old footage. Some games that I went to as a kid, real great trip down memory lane, and it really tied together quite well. The way they did it was was really well done. So it's only about an hour long. I would strongly encourage all basketball fans to check that out while they can. Nath, one last quick thing before we uh, we we call stumps. Don't know if you saw this on social media. There was a very unfortunate post from one Henry Alonga from Zimbabwe. He posted the, quote, sad news about the death of Heath Streak. Uh, but not long after that, Heath sent him a message going, uh, hey, I'm actually still alive. What's going on? Yes. And uh, it was, yeah, that absolutely spread like wildfire, that rumor of, yeah, the, the death of Zimbabwe and great Heath Streak. And he was uh, very, very quick to to turn it around. And unfortunately for a longer, he had to uh, tail between the legs. Post. I can confirm the rumours of the demise of Heath Streak have been greatly exaggerated. I just heard from him. The third umpire has called him back. He is very much alive, folks. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, it must have been a man cat. No, I, I actually, I meant to talk about that at the start when I talked about Austin Robertson Jr.'s passing, but uh, I forgot to mention that one. Yes. Uh, that's that famous Mark Twain. Was it Mark Twain? That quote, the rumours are greatly exaggerated. So no, that's that's some good news there. It is. All right, sure, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Now, I know we say lots of fun every week, but I did have a lot of fun once again with this one. Yeah, it was a really fun episode, actually. We've, uh, we've had a, a few jokes on and off the air. And there will be plenty more Simpsons references in upcoming episodes. I am very excited for the final week of the AFL home and away season. Some really, really big games coming up. Not as many as we would have liked, but still pretty awesome. Unfortunately, I'll be watching the Boomers' first game on delay because I've got my fantasy NFL draft. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.